Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries. Another exciting episode of the Hostile Takeover podcast, the weekly show where myself, Adam Ray, the Is It Tinkerer, founder and forger here on Fantastic Universes, with a special guest talk about our favourite game of the week, PC, tabletop, console, and everything in between. For those of you listening in on our Patreon support, thank you for your continued donations and appreciations are everything to us, and they are what truly keep us afloat. Uh, for those of you on the Patreon, you know full well that you have access to all of our written content well in advance, as well as extended and unedited version of every podcast we produce. For those who are not listening to us that way, do please consider us. We have expanded our tier list, and we deeply appreciate all the support you can throw our way. But in any case, this is a continuation on our little uh, sub-series within the sub-series of the Fantastic Universes podcast. I'm joined once again by a very dear friend and a current content creator that I respect greatly in the world of TTRPG and Dungeons and Dragons. As we have come to grips with the worlds that we live in and the stories we weave together, now it is time to talk about the adventurers that live in those worlds, the play characters themselves. And I'm not ready to talk about it all myself. So to the esteemed guest, Essie of Aaron Spencer Productions, my good pal, how are you today? I am wonderful. Every time we do this, I get an extra large coffee. So I've got my Irish cream, my water. I'm good to go. I'm I'm ready. Did my vocal warm-ups. How about you, friend? Oh, I'm uh, energized as well in very different ways. It is, as a time of recording, this is just after 9 p.m. So I am full of stir-fry, uh, my favorite <laughs> My, f- my favorite YouTuber on a very different uh, game has just put out his uh, deck of the day for Legends of Runeterra. I am sitting with various plushies in my uh, partner's bedroom. I am energized and ready to talk about some adventures. I don't think anyone starts this game as a game master. I'm sure there are exceptions, but I feel the majority of people start as adventurers yes. being pulled into someone's game and being shown around the brave new world. So we've talked a little bit about it in our origin stories, but... Uh, can we get like a fuller in-depth origin story of your player experience, Essie? <laughs> oh, I would love to because this is a roller coaster. Let me tell you. Oh, this will be good. I'm excited so, already. <laughs> okay, so um, for those of you that, that can't see me, uh, I am a transgender woman. It's something I talk about a lot. Uh, I transitioned in 2016, 2017. So pre-transition, I did a lot of what we call projecting (laughs) so i played a lot of very um masculine barbarians uh, and basically that was my first character was a barbarian fighter uh, from AD&D second edition when I played with my brother and basically He-Man. Oh very nice. Um, and <laughs> uh, he was a classic himbo. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> my second official character when we mentioned last time when I used to play the GURP system, the elitist GURP system, uh, which is a whole other conversation to talk about GURPS in and of itself. But in high school that was a basically a carbon copy cutout of Maximus from Gladiator. Again, more projecting, always wishing that I I would have the um the fortitude to play and actually play a female character. I was always worried about what people might might think if if I played a female character. And my my father was always not very accepting. So it kind of it mm. I didn't want to I was always afraid of even in D&D playing a female character. Like somebody might question and it might get back to my dad. And I did a lot of that. Uh, and that's that that was a unique struggle for me. So after that, I think to kind of compensate, that's when I got into DMing. I was like, well, I can play female NPCs and uh, let's just, you know, sort of recoup and, and let's just do DMing. And that's 
that was where I, I ended up for like 15, 18 years or so. Then when I got back into D&D, as we mentioned before, we talked about how I went from GURPS to like a 10, 12 year hiatus or so, and then got back into fifth edition as soon as 5e came out. Um, and I think my first fifth edition game was 2017-ish, early 2017. And I finally, for the first time ever, got to play my very first female player character at the beginning of my transition. And it was incredible. I will never forget Irina, the cleric of Saloon. Must have, uh, and, must have been yes. incredibly cathartic and just liberating and <laughs> validating. That sounds like a wonderful moment. I'm, I'm glad. So what I... I hear a lot of stories similar to this in the community. Lots of people mm-hmm. who are, um, at the very least, either genderqueer or, non-gender, or non-gender specific, just mm-hmm. finding lots of freedom in being able to like break down their own sort of identity and be liberal in their own expression of it. And um, as someone who's like recently grown th- grown out of the confines of whatever being a male is, I've personally been able to like really look back on my own uh, DMing experience and some of my more unclear sort of visuals and appropriations of my characters that I can say it was always sort of there that I was gender non-conforming so it's it's the wonderful avenue and possibility that this game sort of provides that allows um, real freedom and real expression yeah and absolutely that brings us to current so I'd be very curious based on what you just said to hear about the long story of is it's D and D characters? Well, then again, that brings me to present. So yeah. let's do a little little recap from it. I'm curious. Okay, so my very first character was a somewhat simple but otherwise very um, androgynously appearing uh, elf cleric in fourth edition to the Raven Queen. Uh, Not the Raven Queen. So do I. I have a lot of extra stuff written about in the Raven, Raven Queen. Um, it shows her first character. I'm jealous of that story. <laughs> oh yeah, um, they like they were they weren't non- non-binary in like address, but they were non-binary in appearance and attitude. They didn't really confine to things. They were just very sort of stoic and like a like a reaper almost. They were just trying to get the mm-hmm. peace and to just ensure things and walked around with a scythe. I was I was like 17. I was trying to be edgy. Um, well, that sounds like the kind of character I would play now. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the point. They still sound fun, right? That's all yeah. good. But um, I like edgy characters. Yeah, they they have their own story, and we can talk about edginess as it comes around to it. <laughs> um, but then again, there was also a decent bit of a hiatus where I became the the DM that um, those players that I met in what we would call college, like sixteen to eighteen years old. Um, I created my own setting and sort of DM'd there for maybe like three years consecutively trying my best to ignore my degree um (laughs) it was in in the way of all my good gaming that's when i got into magic and i it was was all good but in any case um it didn't really feel difficult for me to inhabit either sides of the gender spectrum when portraying characters in a dm's chair it was quite natural i didn't really feel an affinity to either of them so both of them felt sincere to me I think that's still true to a case. Then, with the opportunity of uh, some friends playing, I love the th- of the three four barbarians that I've consistently had across fifth edition. They've all been wildly different, but uh, the first one I did when a friend of mine um, 
uh, Philip of No Ordinary Heroes. Uh, he ran a, a campaign set in ancient in ancient mythical Greece, and I so was a Theros campaign. Uh, be- way before Theros. Oh, okay. It was it was pre Theros pre Theros in like as a as a setting in magic had existed, but none of us were aware of magic at the time, and it was way before. Gotcha. And it was way before that supplement ever came out. So it was something that he adapted because he's a big mythology nut, mm-hmm. and it's still an excellent game to play. But uh, much like yourself, I was sort of projecting with this sort of macho, muscular, overly. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to put the term Chad on it because it's a that has a whole lots of other <laughs> weird connotations. But sort of like that yes. that alpha masculine ultra testosterone sort of deal. And now that is completely contrasted to my current barbarian, who's sort of on an who's I play in an on again off again uh, campaign led by Corey of No Ordinary Heroes, Kazuka Blades. He uh, that character there is a lady named Tausi, who is a grieving who is a grieving mother and uses the grief of losing a child to fuel her silent i will pierce you with a death stare sort of rage as opposed to the foaming of the mouth rage but um that sort of expression that sort of uh indeterminateness has sort of been th- there with me before everyone was really aware of it uh the lockdown was a great sort of opportunity for me to search my own soul and to become honest with myself and that was the avenue of Dungeons and Dragons that allowed me to start to see things differently, which is why I'll always be grateful for it. So it's funny that you bring up barbarians. That's a great story, by the way. But okay. it's funny you bring up barbarians because my favorite character out of all the characters I've played, and I've played a lot recently, I've kind of been catching up for all the lost years, so to speak, is a forge less barbarian, a half-orc forge less barbarian, as I call her. Her name is Graka. And the rest of the party calls her Moon Moon, <laughs> because in every party there has to be a Moon Moon. But she tries to be serious. She's just not that her intelligence was the dump stat. So uh, the dump stat. So she tries. She's well-meaning. She tries to do well, but she's lacking a very clear amount of book smarts, so so to speak. But I play in a game, a homebrew game, with my dear friend Panda. We just call her Panda. She's from Quebecois. <laughs> um, and she doesn't. she's not a content creator. She's just a mutual friend. And she runs this home game for us. But I wish she would do content creation of some kind because I have never cried and bawled and ugly cried for more than an hour and any type of a game setting let alone dungeons and dragons two sessions ago she had every single person openly weeping in tears whole tissue box and i I keep telling her i'm like you need to do some type of content creation so basically tldr we unleashed a death god earlier than we were supposed to because DD party right no uh no hidden death god survives first contact with the party Lucky for us, he was a benevolent death god, so he brought us into our realm and explained sort of the cycle, the cycle of death and rebirth, and we got to know a lot about her pantheon earlier than we were supposed to, about the cycles of life and death earlier than we were supposed to, because again, (laughs) nothing survives first contact. And in that moment, the death god who was a dragonborn who could take the form of a large ancient dragon or this sort of black dragonborn 
I said, there are people here who want to speak with you. And two weeks prior to this session, we all had to go digging through our backstories and present to Panda this uh, lost loved ones and sort of type up something small about lost loved ones. And she took that. And of course, our lost loved ones were waiting for us in this realm to speak with us before they moved on to the next phase of the journey and re-entered the wheel and their essence sort of dissolved into the collective consciousness to be brought back in, in the cycle. Again, a lot big, huge lore drop that we all got earlier than we were supposed to. And in that moment, as you know, a lot of us, regardless of whether or not we want to, subconsciously put so much of our own personal experiences into our characters, into our backstory, and every single person. And that was never more true in that situation. Because you could tell that every single person had something deeply personal. And a lot of us shared personal stories after that to confirm that in these lost loved ones. And in that moment when Graka's mother... Mama Larashka, as the tribe called her, one of the tribe elders, sort of stepped out. And our DM was describing her, not old and, and hunched over as we knew her in the last years of her life, but just strong and a warrior and a fighter with rippling biceps and muscles and this incredible tattoo of a, of a spiritual wolf. And just walked over and my character just went, Mama... And I lost it. I absolutely, this this forge lesbian, this beefy butch chick just absolutely fell to her knees. And so was her player was mimicking this as well. And I was just openly weeping for the better part of an hour. And so was everyone else at the table. But those are the, those are the stories, the non-combat stories. The, yeah, you can fight a dragon. You can fight a Tarrasque. It's cool. Um, but that's the end of the story. Yeah, I fought a dragon, I fought a Tarrasque. Maybe, how did you fight it? Well, we flew up there, you know, vice versa. You're looking at, you know, maybe like a quick little anecdote. That's cool. You know, I fought a lich or a demi-lich. And then the third person says, well, I fought, you know, um, a, a devil lord or something like that, or a demon lord from the abyss. Cool little anecdotes, but those stories about the stuff that's so deeply personal to you that makes the entire party openly weep, those are the stories that really stick with you. And that's what makes D&D so special to me. And that barbarian, that simple barbarian, I will never, ever forget that character. I'm getting art of her commission. And I've even like been considering tattoos of this character or things that relate to this character. There are some characters so that really stick D &D with you. Tangent. Yeah, that's not, it's <laughs> yes. not a tangent. It's, it's you to like sharing now wonderful story of uh, happening character. I think you're super right and that's not a thing that people really acknowledge but i think it should it's you the what moments of yes uh we we went out to this frozen lake and but a white dragon burst on burst out from under it and we had to fight the white dragon on the ice flows that's cool mm -hmm. there was a moment where we were fighting against the big bosses right at the end of the campaign and the power kill hit and we were all crowding around his body see if we could have the pieces to revive but we saw through to the spirit world and he was off with the long lost love and yeah, the the personal stories, the things that actually like put you, the is. person, the player, into the story, they are what stick with you and stay with you. To get that kind of emotional reaction is what you really want because sure, you can go in for like the heavy sort of meat grinder to quote Nerdarchy guys, like the heavy sort of um, <laughs> like combat focused and like power gaming sort of side of things. But 
I said it last time that this is the last true that D&D and tabletop RPGs are the last true pure form of storytelling it's a way to like let the story evolve as though our ancestor did around a campfire it's the last true pure way to tell a story and that's why I'll always be drawn back to it we don't get that level of connection to it in anything else because ultimately we are reading about characters in a book we are seeing actors on a screen putting our thought processes into someone else but it is still fundamentally us going through these experiences like laughing with triumph and shedding real tears that's how you know you're actually invested in something and it's so important to actually get that to rise through and yeah it's wonderful when you get real experiences like that that's why these characters are important to us I I'm pretty sure Vin Diesel, huge, huge D and D nut, has his first <laughs> yes. character, a ranger somewhere tattooed on him. So you wouldn't be the first one of it. I know my loving partner in the next room has put multiple cosplays together of their characters. Um, these they're they're not just stories we tell ourselves, and they're not just stories we tell our friends. If we allow ourselves to get the stories going, we can really inhabit these characters, and they become real to us, and they. They truly matter. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night a story about the stories a show celebrating batman the animated series week by week episode by episode just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones i am the night why hello there i'm seth singleton and i'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the bat, I'm nuts. I definitely do not fuck bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. (laughs) Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes being called a geek comes with a certain image there is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it in reality geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek 
is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do. This is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. characters that we sort of love and inhabit and circle ourselves through but ultimately we are still playing a game that is bound together fundamentally in three 300 page books so we know how to leverage the numbers and get into the minutiae of the rules themselves but because something that's been consistent from D since the beginning of the different ways to play in the different classes now you have more experience with the original classes and the original ways of playing than I do, so you know full well that Elf was once a class. <laughs> yes. It had its own stat sheet. So we had, as I mentioned in the last one, we had Hero Quest, mm -hmm. and we had AD&D &D Second Edition. And I remember what I was going to say, and uh, this relates, about D&D &D being the last true form of storytelling. Same thing with board games and old editions of D&D, current editions of D&D, just the format of tabletop role-playing games themselves. Sly Flourish, who's another content creator, had said that D&D &D is the only thing that can survive uh, a nuclear apocalypse or the end of the world, because you just need pen and paper, and that's great. But yes, going back to AD&D 2nd edition, Elf was a class. Human, uh, And then it was Elf, Dwarf, Barbarian, and I can't remember the other two, but those were big ones some of some of the classes were races and other ones were just barbarian so it was kind of interesting how they did that 
if I'm remembering correctly, it was a long time ago. But yes, the dynamic of the classes has changed a great bit over the 30, 40 plus years <laughs> since then. So they've been sort of refined down into what has now become, I would say, uh, fantasy archetypes, because I think stuff like, say, Bard and Monk, which are fairly late to the overall class lineup party, uh, mm -hmm. party, nice, didn't even mean to do that, <laughs> uh, have sort of gone on to become like mm -hmm. fantasy tropes. Like I know in like Magic the Gathering, a game you and I both dabble in quite heavily, uh, characters like... Um, Yesan the Wanderer Bard and certain sort of characters like Yasuke from the uh, the Witcher games and the Witcher series, um, obviously coming from the Witcher books, those sort of types of characters have sort of become part of like the sort of weird sort of fantasy mycoths, but they weren't sort of clearly there because when you think back to like the stuff that inspired games like this, you think back to the Lord of the Rings, which is just a bunch of fighters and one wizard, maybe some rogues in there. So the class structure and the class dynamic has really um, sort of evolved since then, but the actual current 12 class breakdown of 5th edition, edition has really sort of cemented itself. But uh, what sort of stuff has sort of changed over the years that you think in terms of like what we got is... What do you think has sort of evolved since then about like what we expect from the classes and how the characters can put themselves together? Oh, I mean, we were talking about how, you know, between HeroQuest and AD&D 2nd Edition, it was just elf, dwarf, human, and then barbarian and, and fighter. And that, that's basically it and everything. And now you can do literally anything. You can, anything that you think of, any of the tropes that people used to make fun of us for talking about in the early 2000s, like a battle mage, you know, or because I, I remember being in high school or or right after high school and having a conversation about a battle mage. That's so cool, you know, a mage uh, or a spellcaster in heavy armor. And people used to ridicule me for that all the time. They're like, mages don't wear heavy armor. You can't do that. And that was a thing. That was the thing that I always wanted to do. And now you can do that. You can basically do anything in D&D. In &D. You can play the battle mage. You can play a bard who's also a barbarian. You can play with the multi-classing and everything. It's really just what do you want to play, which is really what I like. I don't really have anything that's too out there, except for my spell assassin. Now, I know the Dungeon Dudes did a whole video on spell assassin, which I watched once and I actually got the idea, not from the Dungeon Dudes as much as I love that channel, but from Caleb... Caleb Woodogast from Critical Role. And I was like, I want to do a spell assassin kind of similar to Caleb Woodogast, kind of similar to that whole um, organization uh, that they had, the um, uh, the Volstruckers. Kind of want to do a Volstrucker agent in our Ravnica campaign that I'm playing in. But I truly want them to be a spell assassin. So I did the Dungeon Dudes spell assassin format with assassinate and then an aberrant mind sorcerer Ooh. and it's this combination of eldritch horror and spell assassin so during someone's last moments rather than just seeing a dagger or a firebolt or 
you know, acid damage. Like, oh, it burns. No, they see the most horrific thing <laughs> that they can possibly, they can't even fathom what they're seeing. So not only do I murder them, but I break their mind at the last second. And it's just this super intense, really cool uh, concept. And yes, cat's out of the bag. I am a big, big fan of Eldritch Horror and H.P. Lovecraft. I am that girl. <laughs> I will not. Uh, I will not hesitate to to discuss my love of H.P. Lovecraft. So to me, that is like probably. Whereas my barbarian is the most personally intense to me. My spell assassin, who is also a Simic hybrid, so she has a crab claw, which yeah. also has her arcane focus in it. Uh -huh. So a half crab, apparent mine, eldritch horror spell assassin is the coolest character I have ever played in D&D. And as far as cool factor and edgy factor, she is my absolute favorite. And when they say, how do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, as long as their last vision is of something that their mind can't comprehend and true cosmic horror i'm happy <laughs> yeah i feel like with that it would either be a case of them just sort of like recoiling in fear of nothing or their head or their brain just drips out of their ears and their head explodes like in scanners that'd be pretty we've good. done that before oh yeah i'm sure <laughs> we've done that before with a goblin captain yeah i'm, I'm sure you would have yeah um because <laughs> that feel, feels very similar because i'm also that girl who's into cosmic horror uh my <laughs> last character was a um was a great old one warlock yeah great old one warlock who he was a he was a he and he was a very simple um fairly nerdy guy living in Waterdeep big fan of Volo uh painter and illustrator but uh one day he woke up with a tattoo of a octopus up running up his arm i found artwork for it for, on on pinterest and like pinterest great tattoos pinterest's great and it always sort of sticks with me but the tattoo was very alive and would sort of whisper to him in the night and because i was away for one session um they decided that my patron summoned me <laughs> um i my character then reappeared in the next session clearly at least a year older and was very aware of the future of each of the party members like would literally go up oh. to the to the uh the ro the elf rogue who was a noble and would just say oh your highness well i hope your conquest of your homeland has been successful what oh too early of course got caught in the wrong wrong sort of streams of things i love that that's really cool. Yep, and it was in a, it was in a, um, oh, it was in a, it was in a dragon heist. It was in Waterdeep dragon heist. So I was able to great come, module, great module. The only module I think I've ever played, technically. I've run like introductory adventures, but uh, uh, yeah, I've only played in stuff that people have written off the spot. But um, same actually, I think that'll be that'll be a thing. Oh, aside from Curse of Strahd, oh, which yeah. I'm currently playing in. Yes, we can probably talk about the dialectic of uh, modules to own stuff perhaps another time, searching back on our old world, build uh, world building talk. Uh, but yes, it was um, quite interesting to be able to see, oh, you made it. I thought you'd been arrested again. Again? Wrong, wrong, wrong stream. The, the waters of time flow in many different ways. <laughs> time so is a weird soup. Oh, if we want to <laughs> talk about time... Um, this is this is a decision that a player came to me with because um the lovely ladies over in Ordinary Heroes started out with three ladies. My partner Sandy, uh Renee mm -hmm. and Kerry. You can find her um wonderful dance covers on on TikTok and Instagram. But in any case, 
she was moving back stateside. She was moving back to California. So we had to write her character out. I didn't realize quite how powerful the luck blade was. And yes. <laughs> yes. And in a fight that they were certain that they were losing, she wished that her character had never been born. So I decided, oh. so I decided simply to create two, uh, uh, two different legs in the trousers of time. And now my games can be set in either what we like to call timeline blue or timeline red. Okay. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> it definitely can lead to some very interesting sort of dynamics, and I don't know if it's the thing that many other like storytellers and dungeon masters have ever had to handle before, but it was fun for me as a science fiction and fantasy writer at the very least. But well, I, I like making my players aware of aware of the multiverse. That's something that I like doing. Not necessarily different alternate realities. So my strengths as with my DM hat are portals and knowledge and artifacts from other games or other realms might show up or other modules might show up in one game. And there's a lot of cross-referencing and uh, referencing even some of my friends' games and taking some artifacts and even going out of my way to specifically talk to them and be like, hey, what would be something in your game that might show up in in one of uh, our worlds, whether it's the homebrew world or whether it's Faerun? And I've even taken to using Planeswalkers uh, from Magic the Gathering, speaking of integrating MTG into my upcoming homebrew campaign with Heaven's Fire. That would be really cool to just... Because this is what I do anyway, all of my players know that I love the multiverse stuff. Super excited for the multiverse of madness. That's the stuff I geek out on. I love that stuff. The time knife, though, and then alternate realities. Then I start to get like, that's that seems like your strong suit. So maybe we should put our minds girl, together. Girl, are we point. the same person? <laughs> no, 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 really. Are we the same person? Because I've had Jace Bellerin cameo in a couple of sessions without the players really noticing. I've had. Um, they my, didn't notice. They didn't notice. <laughs> he was a he was a kind, he was a kindly blue robed hooded wizard who helped helped the sorcerer pull some books off of a bookshop. They did not. She did not notice. Um, my partner Sandy's character has now become become a planeswalker, and her favorite dimension to visit is the dimension of Leicester Square, which is a popular shopping spot here in London um the very doctor who oh very doctor, very doctor who, yeah. Who of you. yeah i mean then again doctor who is also a big huge influence for me because you know i grew up at that time and i now that i realize it uh i realize it way closer way after the fact but uh i think david Tennant's doctor was one of the first men i ever fell in love with so you know queer things i love david Tennant. also yeah. my my police call box purse is sitting right there on the floor we'll make sure it doesn't strip off to the 1540s um <laughs> I, it's bigger on the inside. It would be as as is most as is most wallets because it feels like there has to be otherwise yes. <laughs> uh, the money the money has to go somewhere in time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, we can always count on like big overactive imaginations to take us to places because even with in um, MTG, there's uh, back in the earlier settings of Magic: The Gathering, there was a ship called the Weatherlight that could sail between dimensions. Yes. Yep, that's there's... going to be in Campaign Three of our Heaven's Five. I write campaigns, by the way, yeah. sidebar, like years in advance. So we're doing a Phyrexia uh, interjection Ooh. for campaign three. So yes, I'm very, very familiar with the weather light. And one of my players already said, Aaron, if you do this, just know that I will immediately simp for Elish Norn. <laughs> I mean, so that's that's fair. I mean, 
It's like immense bone mommy. <laughs> I was always a shielded kind of person. I mean, like mm. any anyone's better than Vorinclex. I don't even know why Vorinclex is in Kaltheim. <laughs> um, what a great monster. Yeah, but also just absolute ass to play against in a commander. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. I, I'm still learning the, the nuances of Magic the Gathering. I kind of stopped in 2001-ish, and so there's a whole period of time. I got back into it for... I think was um, whatever the set was Blazing Archon Ravnica. Sure. So like 2004, five ish, I kind of got a little surge back into it and then just completely ignored it until this year when the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms Dungeons and Dragons set came out. And that's yep. what got me back into it. I'm buying old cards uh, from third, fourth and fifth edition old cards from whatever set Phyrexia was from uh, and the Weatherlight. And, uh, but that's a whole nother problem in and of itself. I'm learning about all of the um, social problems from old Magic the Gathering that I was only vaguely aware of back then that I'm now much more hyper aware of. And when including it into Dungeons and Dragons, I'm certainly going to make it um, much more diverse and a lot less um, problematic. <laughs> as it should be, I think. Yes. I agree as well. Um yeah, there's been allusions to a lot of other worlds and strange things. Just trying to try and keep the content wholesome. There's lots of allusions to other worlds and other strange things going on in my game. As we were talking about the weatherlight, um, mm-hmm. what my other 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 barbarian is a uh, oh oh turtle people turtle people turtle yes uh, stupid yeah turtles. He's a turtle captain of a sailing vessel that sails between worlds. And shores up in a place that I've created called First Gate that I will not say any more about because I can't. Sorry, Jeff. Um, Amazing. I still, I love it. Turtles in the high seas. Turtles in the high seas. Everyone, yeah. It, yep. it, it, Everyone says that Matt Mercer was the first to come up with that, but I don't think that's no. true. I mean, if, if you think of, if you think of turtles, I think of, well, these are sea creatures, so they would be yeah. ship captains. And I had done yeah. the same thing and everyone's like oh you took that from matt mercer and i'm like no no, no and i even, didn't I and even then like it's within their description that they are hyper curious that they like to explore and get in as much as they possibly can so them sailing to far-flung locations is the natural yeah. thing to do also does it bother you that they're like live fast die young because like they're turtles they should live for hundreds of years <laughs> i they should and that's i think that's how i designed my turtles uh Actually, before I even knew that Turtle was a race, when I first designed the map for Valyrian and Heaven's Fire, one of the islands I made was Tortosa, and it was in the shape of a turtle. And I was like, this is where the turtle people live. I didn't have a name for them. I just called them turtle people. And then Wizards came out with the turtles. So oh, cool. Those guys. I think this is just a part of our collective consciousness. Part of our collective consciousness is, for some reason, turtle people. Yeah. <laughs> But they are just so charming, or at the very least, they're all everyone's just like big kung fu panda fans. <laughs> yes. But in any case, those kinds of adventurers can go to all sorts of places, but they're as limited as the imagination of the whole table. Because I want to talk about the fact that even though a game master is going to be leading the story along, they are still only one voice. When I when I DM a game, when I DM a table, I keep that philosophy quite strong. Even though I have the most sway i am still only one voice and i am outnumbered if the other players collectively and consciously want to set the adventure off in that direction i will facilitate that i'm not one to be like this one brain kind of table like oh we're gonna go to this place 
Okay, you gotta follow the bad guy. Yeah, we, we can't let him get away. So perfect example of that, to follow up on that. This is, again, perfect timing. We're like, are we the same person? Are we the same person? <laughs> so Storm King's Thunder, if, if you're a DM who is struggling with exactly that, and who's struggling with, you know, maybe you want to have more experience in a situation where you are forced to allow the players to explore you're you're a little hesitant but you want something that's going to kind of uh, have to kind of forcibly break you out of that shell storm king's thunder it will require a lot more prep uh, than you might be used to but for me as a somewhat experienced dungeon master storm king's thunder is a perfect example and i ran that knowing that it's supposed to be a big open-ended adventure and in doing so i'm prepared every session okay maybe because it's an open world and because wizards wants it to be an open world i have to think okay so this is you know two horizons ahead as life Laura says there is three towns i have to make sure that i'm somewhat aware of these three towns or these three potential locations that they can branch off to and a lot of it I'll just kind of wing it, but I'm going to have a general idea of what they might get into. And from there, it might branch off into something totally cool. So in Storm King's Thunder, we just played on Friday, and I'm obviously the DM in that game. My players stopped at a crossroads, and it was a cool moment where I got to do the old classic DM trope where you come to a fork in the road. You can go left to Noanar's Hold, or you can continue straight down the Evermore Way. a small group of travelers approaches with an ox-drawn cart uh, about 60 to 120 feet ahead of you. They just seem to be a simple farming family. What do you do? And it's a kind of situation where they let the cart pass and they had a quick conversation with these kids in the cart and little fireworks and things like that. Very Gandalf and Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings. And they were like, what are we going to do? Like, we have two options. Let's make some history checks. So they kind of recalled some of the local local knowledge and local legends. And there was a ghost story affiliated with the wild hunt out of Noanar's Hold and about how nobles had a, a history of disappearing in Noanar's Hold. And there was this unresolved curse uh, based on the five lords who formerly... Uh, uh, the the five hunt lords who used to lord over Noanar's hold, only one remains um, and has denied that a curse or a haunting ever existed. A stout dwarf, as dwarfs live a lot longer than humans. And they were like, this is a cool little ghost story. Like, do you want to check this out? Uh, so I had a character do augury for the wheel and woe. And I'm like, this is great. Now I get to kind of speak through the gods, through augury. And she's like, I roll my bone dice and I see what happens. I'm like, all right, cool. So you get both wheel and woe. There's a possibility of reward, but there's also a danger. And she said, that sounds like an adventure hook. Let's go here. My augury says that it might be worth checking out. So there's a mention in Storm King's Thunder. Spoilers for Storm King's Thunder for No One Else Hold. I'm going to say that. Allow for a pause. There is a cult in No One Else Hold. It's just a couple little sentences. A cult that worships or that has worshipped Orcus. Ooh. And I'm like, haunting, wild hunt, Orcus, demons. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. So we went there and this little teeny, it was just one paragraph in Storm King's Thunder about the history of No One Hour's Hold and about the cult uh, to Orcus 
and about the five lords. Four of them died because they were humans, but their spirits now haunt the land. And this is turning into a whole subplot that is going to lead them to fight eventually a Nalfishni and a cultist of Orcus to the point where they are also, depending on what they do, they may also be sucked into sort of a pocket realm that is kind of like an arena where they might have to fight each other and like a battle to the to the death, kind of inspired by the critical role one-shot battle royale that they did. But I think that if they want to pursue the Wand of Orcus, that's going to be a second thing that they can do, or they can just kill the Nalfishni and kill the the cultists and just move on from there and not mess with the wand of Orcus. Because if you try to attune to it and you fail, you die. Which, thank you, Jordan, <laughs> on YouTube uh, for releasing that video because that inspired me to insert Orcus. And lo and behold, guess what? Orcus just popped up. So here we go. And now we have possibly like two months worth of content from this little teeny snippet in Storm King's Thunder and me just having a little bit prepared in advance i'm like yeah let's just run with it and at the end of that session the players investigating the disappearances of some of the townsfolk following up on leads talking to animals to figure out what's going on in the woods and just kind of perusing the town and it's a small town there's not many there's barely any magic items it's kind of a, a podunk little town outside of a forest very old school DD. and everyone at the end of that session said this was the most similar to Basement D&D that we have played in a long time. And we absolutely freaking love it. More of this, more open-ended adventure, more of I want to go here, what's in this area. And everybody was just beyond excited just to go to this small little backwater village and investigate the disappearance of some of the townsfolk, uncover a cult, and go pursue them in the woods. Sometimes, and what I'm learning is that less is most definitely more. It almost always is. And that kind of, that term, basement D&D, that is something I want to take a whole other episode to explore. Because we, much like the, the term that you've just pointed up, we've opened up today's show with the intent of talking about the players themselves and the characters that you can make. But we've ended up wandering away through our own history, our own very queer identities, and our own sort of wild adventure. So the less is more but the beauty of us being able to talk and ramble has brought us closer as people and has left us all the more appreciative of Dungeons and Dragons so even though we were very off topic I feel we've we have accomplished a lot so I, I want to say thank you as we close out the show today friend such is the way of D&D thank you for having me uh, always a pleasure to have you around but for those of you dear listeners who want to hear more from Essie and Aaron Spence Productions, where can our dear listeners find you and your works? You can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash C for creator, slash ESP Aaron Spencer Productions, or just by searching ESP Aaron Spencer Productions or ESP D&D on YouTube. You can use the ampersand or the end. Uh, or the end it will come up both ways. We run an evil campaign, or I should say a morally gray campaign. We live stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPDND. That's uh, N as in Nitro, ESPDND. So twitch.tv slash ESPDND. We do our live streamed evil campaign. Currently, we are working through the Lost City of Omu in the Tomb of Annihilation module. Ooh. And that live stream gets edited and placed onto the YouTube channel. We also do a D&D podcast where we do on the same YouTube channel, where we do deep dives into the 
Wizards of the Coast book releases with our dear friend D. You can find her at, at Afro Puff Lady on Instagram. She is one of our dedicated D&D co-hosts. And you can also find me on Twitter at Aaron Spencer 2187 or ESP Aaron Spencer, which is our podcast link. So ESP Aaron Spencer on Twitter. We're also on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, and wherever fine podcasts are available. So just by uh, typing in ESP D&D, you'll be able to find us very easily. Wonderful stuff. And do check it all out if you want to level up your TTRPG and Dungeons and Dragons experience. Honestly, aside from the big wigs of Quirrell Quirrell and Gilding Light, the smaller but as enfranchised and loved creators like the like ESP and myself are, uh, are affiliated with No Ordinary Heroes, we do tell wonderful stories, and I think we yes, we need we do. need all the love we get. So all is appreciated. Thank you, thank you for thank you all so much. But as for little old me, uh, in and around the world here on Fantastic Universes, uh, there are multiple posts a month by us and our very wide team talking about manga comic books gaming and everything in between across popular culture the geek podcast also a part of the fantastic universes podcast network run by the amazing super dummy paul he's doing wonderful things there as for more written content featuring me look to runeterra ccg for regular deck of the day articles crafted and piloted by myself the is tinkerer and to level up your ttrpg experience look to the apotheosis studios blog for new monsters items and other things to level up your DD games for visual media, look to the hostile atmosphere on YouTube for my PC Let's Plays, twitch.tv forward slash is a tinkerer for my questionable card game plays, and uh, past uh, Dungeons and Dragons gameplay featuring me and the lovely ladies of No Ordinary Heroes. Thank you for listening. This has been the Hostile Takeover podcast. We're going to be tuning back in next time for more wondrous Dungeons and Dragons meandering down the adventurer's road, but until next time, live free and play well. Bye.